Hi, I'm Carla. And I'm Kristen. We are the co-hosts of Perimenopause OMG. We're friends, moms, wives, and athletes. And we're going through some stuff. That stuff is called perimenopause. OMG, you guys, no one talks about it. Till now. We're here to talk about all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the funny. So sit back and relax. Hold on to your butts. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Carla. How's it going today? Pretty good. Pretty good. How are you doing? Good. Good. Well, um, we're wrapping up the end of the school year, so things are getting busy, but all good. Good things. I know. I cannot wait until summer. Yes. It's going to be so much fun. Summer is our other life. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I'm still working over the summer, but only Mondays and Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. So yeah. pool time, beach time. It'll be awesome. Running time. Running time. Mm -hmm. I start my marathon training June 6th, baby. June 6th. Get it done. I know. I even incorporated hills into my training program. Mm -hmm. You got it. I I am so nervous. But it's it's a, you know, I even even incorporated um, stretching and hip hip mobility. Well, stretching and strength training are definitely Mm -hmm. super important. We'll see how that goes. Mm -hmm. Well, let's get to our guest today. Yes. This is a really important episode, I think, probably for both of us and for a lot of our friends. Yes. This is an episode um, that we are actually going to finally talk about our pelvic floor. And people have asked us so many times, why do I sometimes pee when I sneeze, or pee when I run, or pee when I cough or laugh. Yes, and people often make jokes about it, and, you know, I think it's because people are a little bit nervous to talk about it. And uncomfortable. I mean, it's, yeah, if you don't laugh about it, what are you going to do? Cry about it. Right, exactly. We might do that sometimes. Which I may have done that too. I don't know. I don't know. Right, right. So today we are welcoming Dr. Jen... Perna from Vivid Women's Health in Newtown, Pennsylvania. Welcome, Jen. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, we are so excited to have you. We have a lot of questions. Yes. And um, we're excited for you to to share with us. So before we start, um, Dr. Jen, how how do you want us to address you? Just Jen is fine. Jen? Okay. (laughs) All right, Jen. Um, So can you um, maybe, like, give us a little background of, of, like, what you do, what your title is, your, you know, training or education? Absolutely. Great. Yeah. So I'm a pelvic floor physical therapist, um, and I own Vivid Women's Health, so we specialize in women's pelvic floor conditions. Um, and so I am a doctor of physical therapy, so I went to undergrad and then three years of PT school, and then I was working in orthopedics primarily. I loved movement and sports and all of those things, and then I had children, 
and the lovely addition of two wonderful children to my life changed my pelvic floor forever. Um, and so I became increasingly interested in the pelvic floor and management of the pelvic floor conditions. And we touched on it in PT school, but like nothing that I would be comfortable treating a patient. Sure. Right. So we've, um, we've seen a lot of that type of thing, like in textbooks, women's health is towards the back or mm -hmm. these issues in menopause or perimenopause are pushed towards the back yeah. or older women's issues, concerns, things that, you know, maybe are uncomfortable to talk about, really aren't addressed thoroughly. 100%. Well, right. To be, I mean, to be fair, like I've studied anatomy and physiology and, you know, like your musculoskeletal class, mm -hmm. you know, those, you know, primary agonists, antagonists, synergists, but like pelvic floor muscles are really, I mean, for me at least, they were not even covered. Not covered. I mean, and I covered them. But very, very... Right, in PT yes. school, but, but very probably briefly, right? Yes. And so in order to become a pelvic floor therapist, there's two academies that really teach the basic pelvic floor courses. And that covers internal exams on how to do an intravaginal exam, an intrarectal exam to assess the pelvic floor muscles. But then there's a whole slew of advanced courses that you can take that are more diagnosis-specific, population-specific. Um, you know, men have pelvic floors, so they can be men-specific. Um, and so it goes into the whole, I mean, you can really get to the nitty-gritty depending on what you specialize in within the specialty of pelvic floor. Gotcha. <laughs> Yeah. I, I, so you took your personal experience yes. and then was like, I need to know more about this. I'm passionate about yes. this. And that's how we really incredible. And like the courses, to be honest with you, we all have to be the patient in the courses. So you are getting undressed and you're practicing intravaginal exams on each other. And so you have to be at a point where you're super comfortable with doing that as well. And Which I feel after having after kids, like, you know, <laughs> it's kind of one of those things you get a little bit more comfortable yeah, talking right. about things. And so that's kind of what pushed me over the edge. And I just like never looked back and I've loved it ever since. And so, yeah, so here we are. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 Wait, cool. can we just say really quick? I didn't even think about, it's terrible, but I, I didn't even think about male pelvic floors. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And that's a whole specialty. And, you know, I always give the disclaimer because I'm so passionate about women and I obviously treat women, sure. that's what my practice focuses on, but um, men are super underrepresented as well, and they can suffer from erectile dysfunction and leakage just like women can. So, you know, there's definitely a whole specialty that deals with men's pelvic health as that well. so interesting. Yeah. yeah. That's great to know. Yeah. Yeah. I guess before we get into, like, the more in-depth questions. Um, Jen, can you just explain the pelvic floor? Sure. I know it's it's going to be difficult to do on a podcast, yes. right? Because I can see this pelvis <laughs> right in front of me, which our listeners cannot. Um, but we will also, you know, post a picture of yeah, the pelvis. Sure. But if you can walk us through it, and that would be wonderful. Absolutely. So the pelvis, for those of you that don't know, when you put your hands on your hips, like if you say put your hands on your hips, you're putting your hands on your pelvis. Gotcha. And so your pelvis is a big butterfly-shaped uh, bone, but it's really three bones on each side, so it's six bones total. Um, and the pelvic floor is comprised of muscles, ligaments, nerves that sit on the bottom of that pelvis. So if we're talking about wearing like a pad 
talking about. Gotcha. So like sit bone to sit bone and then pubic bone in the front to tailbone in the back. Oh, okay. So the pelvic floor, everyone always thinks about the pelvic floor muscles, and that's obviously a huge um, area of treatment for us. But there's nerves, there's ligaments, there's um, you know ligaments that can get stretched during pregnancy. Those all sit within the pelvic floor as well. Okay. So there's inherent structure within the pelvis um, via the ligaments, but then the muscles really help to control movement and things like that. Gotcha. And then the pelvic floor is really under control from, it's unlike any other muscle um, in our body, in that there's autonomic nervous system control, which means that there's an involuntary component to pelvic floor contraction and relaxation, which is amazing because that's what keeps us from peeing and pooping on the floor when we're just up and right. sitting. Um, but it also means that your autonomic nervous system or your fight, flight, freeze nervous system, if that is really on overdrive, can actually drive a lot of tension through the pelvic floor and can actually create a lot of symptoms if you're in a state where your nervous system's a little bit more upregulated or just like overactive. Um, and so there's a lot of influence that these muscles can have over things besides just, hey, I want you to contract and hey, I want you to relax. Um, hormones can play a role, nutrition, sleep, stress level, all of those things can play a huge role in the function of these muscles. And it's not like a bicep, you know, your bicep, you tell it to contract, you tell it to relax. The pelvic floor is so much more complicated than that. Sure. Wow. Is there any component of our pelvic floor muscles that is under voluntary control? Mm -hmm. So there are. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's like involuntary control, which is that that autonomic nervous mm -hmm. system, but also somatic control, which would be voluntary. One hundred percent. So think about like if you really have to have a bowel movement, right? You start squeezing, squeezing. right? That's voluntary control. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So there's definitely voluntary inputs, but I think what, what a lot of people forget about is the involuntary. Gotcha. Right. And that we think, oh, if I just squeeze and squeeze and squeeze, I'm going to work on my pelvic floor. Um, but there's so many other factors that play a role. That's so interesting. I'm just thinking about, you know, like little kids when they're scared of something and then they wet themselves. Yes. You know, so yeah, making oh, yeah. that connection Absolutely. between the voluntary and the involuntary and how that stress could, you know, could result in that. Absolutely. And like if you think about being stressed and like how that affects your bowels, right? Sometimes people's bowels get slowed when they're stressed. And, you know, you hear these stories like, oh, I haven't had a bowel movement in a week. You know, because I've been under such stress right. versus the people that get a really hyperactive bowel, bowel, right? So there's, we have to take into account people's nervous systems and how their body rate responds to stress when we're treating the pelvic floor. That's fascinating. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, you can really nerd out if you're an anatomy nerd, <laughs> right. like a neuroscience nerd, you can really nerd out on the pelvic floor because I mean, it is represented by so many aspects of the rest of our body and our brain. It's not just one piece of our brain is represented. Right. You know, there's other, like our great toe has the same wiring as our pelvic floor to our brain. Um, so we can really get super nerded out, which is really cool. So Jen, how do we know if our pelvic floor is weak? Yeah, so this is such a like hot question to be honest with you because a lot of people think weakness as like laxity right so if you think about like an elastic pair of shorts that's mm -hmm. overstretched mm -hmm. right like that elastic yeah. waistband mm -hmm. so a lot of people this is the analogy of like I had kids the waistband stretched and now it's just kind of like hanging essentially <laughs> right for lack of a better like, term right pretty much <laughs> everything in my body yeah but like you think that that's what 
weakness is. And yes, so yes. weakness can also be inherently tight as well. So when a muscle is tight, that muscle is also weak. So a lot of times, especially with leakage, patients will think, oh, I'm just really weak, so I just need to squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. But you might actually be weak, quote unquote, because it's tight. Um, and so if we think about like a bicep, right? If I can curl 20 pounds with my normal range of motion, you know, that's great. But if I have my arms stuck at like a 90 degree flexion, right? Um, that doesn't mean I can curl any more weight. And that does, that might actually make my arm weaker because I don't have the full range of motion. Right. So weakness can be because of laxity or it can be because of tightness as well. So it's important to explore, well, why is it weak? Is it weak because of laxity or is it weak because of tightness? Because those are going to be two separate treatments when it comes to pelvic floor therapy. So how do you go about finding out which it is? Yeah, so typically through our work as pelvic floor therapists, we'll do an intravaginal exam or an intrarectal exam, and we will actually see how much can you squeeze, right? Um, How much can you squeeze? How much can you lift? If I have you do an exercise, do I feel the proper recruitment within that pelvic floor while you're doing the exercise? Um, But I will have you know that there have been patients that we have seen and they amaze you. They walk in and they're coming because of constipation, something totally not leakage related. Mm-hmm. And you'll assess their pelvic floor and it's there's no movement. You're like, I, I maybe feel a contraction, but maybe I don't. And you're like, how are you not leaking? I don't understand this. Um, versus there are patients that come in and we have them squeeze and it's amazing. You're like, this is the best squeeze I've ever felt. And they're leaking all the time. Um, And so it just goes to show us that weakness in the ability to squeeze does not mean that that is going to overall create quote-unquote pelvic floor weakness. That there's a lot of other drivers in the system that can be playing a role here. So you're saying kegels can't solve it all. They cannot. Right. I mean, that's what we are told. I mean, not just from social media Mm -hmm. or groups of girlfriends talking. I mean, that's what my gynecologist yes. says. 100%. Right? So it's not, it, I mean, it's my doctor's telling me, oh, practice your Kegels, practice your Kegels. Yeah. And, you know, no no disrespect to the physician. Of course right? not. Because there's definitely, I mean, they know way more than I do about, you know, hysterectomies and all of those things. But I'm a rehab specialist. Exactly. Right? Like, that is my training, is understanding how muscles work and how the human body as a physiological system works together. Right. And how do joints work together? How do muscles work together? And muscles don't just work in isolation. They actually work as a system. And so that's why I'm, we kind of pride ourselves on being anti-Kegel here because it's so much more complicated than that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but in terms of like signs of pelvic floor yeah. dysfunction, yeah. Okay. right? Yeah. So I never like to say signs of pelvic floor weakness or anything like that. It's signs of pelvic floor dysfunction, right? Urinary concerns, bowel concerns, sexual function concerns, or pain. So thinking about leakage, that's probably the number one thing that people associate with pelvic floor dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Um, but also constipation, you know, hemorrhoids, fissures bowel incontinence, which is a very large percent of women after they give birth and nobody talks about. They'll talk about the urine leakage, but a lot of people don't talk about bowel leakage. Um, And that can be stool or gas. That's considered, you know, bowel incontinence. Um, But then sexual pain, that's super common in the peri and postmenopausal population. Um, And because the hormones drop, you know, during that time period, the vaginal walls can actually thin. 
um, making them more prone to like cracking um, and just dryness, mm -hmm. overall vaginal dryness. And that can give rise to pain. Sure. And pain will make you guard and tighten and clench in that response, which then drives the issue further. Oh, wow. So it's, you know, it, it, people think, oh, it's just a little bit of leakage, but we really have to figure out why is that happening? Because if it's happening because the muscles are too short, or they have, are they too short because you're clenching because you're in pain because you need estrogen? So right. there's there's a lot more thought process than just go do kegels, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. definitely. So what would you know a woman who does feel like they have some type of weakened floor for some mm -hmm. reason? Mm -hmm. um, what would their first go to be? Do they have to go to their general practitioner? Is it their OBGYN? Would they come here first? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I always say I want everybody up to date with their doctor visits. So if it's been three years since you had a pap smear and it's been three years since a physical, like please do that first because we want to just make sure that everything's good from a you know health sure you know perspective. perspective yeah. Um, plus, if I need to recommend vaginal estrogen, we need a doctor for us to talk to that you know talk. talk gotcha. About. Um, so I always say, make sure you're up to date with physicals and your gyne exam, breast exams, things of that nature. But if you are and you're experiencing symptoms, you can go right to a pelvic floor physical therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, Pennsylvania law allows us to see patients without a prescription. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Great. we can just evaluate you and then we want to communicate with your physician because like I said, if we do recommend vaginal estrogen, there's also patients that take vaginal or rectal diazepam or, um, Dalium in case there's a lot of tightness. We want to have a position that we can discuss that with. So, mm -hmm. sure. Right, for the total health of the woman. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we talk a lot about um, pelvic floor dysfunction, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we call it now, right? Not weak in pelvic yeah. floor. Pelvic floor dysfunction because we've had babies. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I've had vaginal births. Kristen has had vaginal births. So we discuss, you know, when we're running, if we leak a little bit, right? I mean, yes. we're close. We're podcast <laughs> <Yes>. hosts. <laughs> we're running partners. We yes. discuss this stuff. But can women who haven't had a vaginal birth have pelvic floor dysfunctions? Can women who've chosen not to get pregnant have pelvic floor dysfunction? Absolutely. Okay. So we treat a litany of diagnoses, right? So we've had 18 year olds that actually have pain with tampon use um, versus women that have vaginal births, right? And, you know, vaginal births can create weakness or tightness, right? Sure. Um, and then C-sections. And with a C-section, remember your abdominal wall was cut. It's a major abdominal incision. Your abdominal wall fires with your pelvic floor. They are literally connected physiologically. So you cannot fire your abdominal wall without your pelvic floor having some sort of recruitment, right? Sure. Um, and so if you cut the abdominal wall, you can now have a disruption in the system. Sure. So you can absolutely leak or have pain. A lot of painful intercourse comes um, post-cesarean because of like the pulling at the scar. Um, That's like very interesting. I haven't had a C-section, but I wouldn't think that, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, like right. pain because the baby didn't come through the vagina. So why would there be right. pain with and intercourse? Also thinking like, well, why did they have a C-section, right? Was it failure to progress? 
Did they yes. push for three hours? And finally the mom was just so exhausted that she was like, please, I'll just take a C-section. You know, those are all signs of like, hey, maybe the pelvic floor didn't do what it needs to. And during birth, it needs to relax, not contract. Everyone thinks it needs to contract, um, but it has to open and, and relax. And so did that obviously cause the C-section? And so we need to investigate that. Wow. That's really interesting. And then you said, you said there's even younger girls yeah, who haven't, sure had any pregnancies and that's just from what their anatomy their uh, the litany of I mean a whole slew of things to be honest with you in the hormones hormones maybe in the younger population yeah. like we tend to find sex ed to be horrible in this country to be oh honest with you um, <laughs> that all you talk about is like STDs and don't get pregnant but like nobody talks about the anatomy and things that have to happen in order for you to get pregnant um, and so a lot of this has to actually come from people that have never talked about sex or talked it. They have no understanding of anatomy. And so when it comes to like tampon use, they're one confused, but Absolutely. two, like they're almost like fearful because they're like, I can't put anything in here. Like I might get an STD. And I mean, I think there are certain people that really think it's your urethra that a tampon goes into. Yes. yes. Which is, I mean, that's a serious you know, point to be had at sex education in the United States. Yeah. Right? There's, I mean, actually, there's a, a different hole. Right. And there's, I mean, there's an um, Instagram account, and I forget what the name is, but um, essentially it's this um, provider that is educating women. They think that when you have sex, you have sex in your belly button because they think that the baby comes out of your belly. And so they're very confused. And this is not like an uncommon thing. This is a, you know, people write sure. it all the time. Like, oh my gosh, yeah, I was never educated on this. And so it just goes to show you there's just a total lack of education in terms of like sex ed. And, and even like when I was growing up, like my parents didn't really use the proper anatomical terms. Like no. we didn't say penis, vagina, uterus, mm -hmm. like, you know, it was more like hoo-hahs and whoa-whoes, or I don't know what they said, but, but like crazy names and, and you know, where's the baby in your belly. So I, I don't blame these people yeah. that, that are confused. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's really a thing. So, wow. That's um, so interesting. Yeah. yeah. So do you guys do some education here with those younger, yeah, younger times? Or, I mean, I guess they don't even have to be younger. They just have to be curious. Yeah, right? curious. Yeah. yeah. Or they try to have sex for the first time with their husband. Maybe, you know, they, for whatever reason, religiously or personal-wise, never wanted to have intercourse. And they finally go to have sex. And they're like, this is so painful. Like, I can't even get through this. Right. Um, and, you know, so we help work patients through that. Work them through that. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. question is, um, is there anything that we ourselves can do on our own to strengthen our pelvic floor or, um, you know, should we always come to a practice like yours, you know, for, for guidance or, you know, what, what do you suggest? Yeah, absolutely. So first things first, if you're ever having urinary bowel sexual symptoms or pain, right, whether you have groin pain or any SI joint pain, um, I always recommend getting help because it is so much more complicated than just do one exercise. And sure. you should never leak, ever, 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 ever. Even if it's like one cough once in a while or a sneeze once in a while, there's a sign that your system is not doing what it should. And it's putting too much pressure on your pelvic floor. 
And so... Okay, so let's say that again. Leaking... Is never normal. Is not normal. Never. It may be common. Very. But it is not normal. Never normal. Never. And I always use the analogy. If we thought of leakage like we did pain. So if every time you went to go run, your ankle hurt. Next week, you'd be like, I need to go to the doctor. This is so ridiculous. My ankle hurts every time I run. But for some reason with leakage, everyone's like, I just throw a pad on, you know? But to be honest, it can be because of the same issue. A stiff ankle can be taking away the shock absorption of your pelvis. And then instead of your ankle hurting, your pelvic floor ends up leaking. So we just have to start looking at the body a little bit differently so that if we looked at leakage, like we do pain and that we would get that addressed because it's a sign that something's not doing its job. Mm -hmm. I think it would be much more common that, you know, patients would seek our services. Sure. Um, but two, it would be like, if somebody ever said, Oh my gosh, I'm leaking when I'm running, it'd be like, Oh my gosh, you have to go to pelvic floor therapy. Like this is not acceptable. And instead we kind of like laugh it off. Um, and so, yeah. Or so then, yeah. Or, or Instagram hears, I don't mm -hmm. really know how that works, but Instagram hears and suddenly I'm inundated with ads about the Isella chair. And yeah, right. yeah, yes, 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 yes. Which, you know, is a whole nother argument for a whole nother day. But once again, it's, there's a system, systematic problem. If you're leaking when you're running, it's not because your pelvic floor is doing something wrong. It's because something else is putting too much pressure on your pelvic floor. It's true. You know, the way we say it too, in like, if you're talking about a loved one who who's constantly, like, let's say, getting headaches, right? You would say, oh, I'm not going to just give them ibuprofen. I want to see the cause of the headache, right? Is it a, is it a tumor? Is it high blood pressure? So the same thing would be here, right? If we are leaking, we want to find the cause and then treat from there. 100%. Okay. Some things that people can do. The first thing, which is going to shock everybody, is never hover over the toilet. You want to make sure if you're even in a public bathroom, you're putting toilet paper down on the toilet, on the seat, and then you're sitting. Because when you go to the bathroom, your pelvic floor has to relax in order to allow urine to come out. And so if you're hovering, you're squatting, which is then contracting your pelvic floor. So now you might have to put more pressure, and that brings oh me to my next gosh. point of like pushing your pee out, like where you almost like power pee. Yeah. Like yeah. all of us moms have done it, right? Kids are in the next room. Five seconds. Five seconds. Or your four-year-old might open the public restroom door. And you're yes. like, oh, you're yes. So that causes a lot of pressure on your pelvic floor. Gosh, and you, you never want to put excess pressure on your pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of no squatting and then no power peeing, right? Those okay. things you really want to avoid. Um, some other things are like having a bowel movement. You should breathe out your bowel movement. You should not have to hold your breath, like bear, bear down. down. Right. You should be able to take nice inhales and exhales, and the stool should just kind of come out as a result of that. What are your thoughts on what are those things? The squatty potty. Yeah. yeah. So squatty potty or footstool, something that gets your feet up. Yep. So your knees higher than your hips. It actually relaxes a muscle in your pelvic floor called the puborectalis. Um, and it acts like a lasso to like keep the uh, pelvic floor, you know, closing on the distal um, rectum. Mm -hmm. So what that does is it relaxes it. So when your feet are higher or your knees are higher than your hips, your pelvic floor is now able to relax mm -hmm. and then you can have a successful bowel movement. So, so puts it puts your pelvis in a better position. position. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So that's a good little tip. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously you want to stay active, 
right? People that sit all day for work and then go home and sit on the couch, um, you know, we have to make sure we're adding balance. Mm -hmm. But conversely, if you are super stressed and I'm super type A, I'm very go, 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 go all the time, you need to make sure your workout is balancing that. So if you're a very high energy, high, you know, stress sort of person, you probably want, you can run, but you also probably want to be doing yoga or something else that's going to calm down your nervous system. We want to be, it's all about balance. Okay. Right? Yeah. So you want to make sure that you're doing that. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, drinking water. Yes. I swear half of the issues we see would be fixed if patients just drink more water. Wow. Um, so you want to half your body weight in fluid ounces a day and saying, oh, I can't drink that much because I, then I'm going to have to pee. is like a myth. No, small bladders are kind of a myth. It just, it's a, it's a habitual training of your bladder that creates that sense that you have a sensation. Bladder. Right, right, right. Right. Um, and actually restricting fluid concentrates your urine more which then can actually increase urgency. So you just want to make sure you're hydrated. Taking sips, not gulps. You know, if you chug a whole glass of water, it's going to create some urgency. Sure. Um, so just be smart about that. Use straws. I love water bottles that have straws. Um, and it's hydration, right? It can be like green tea and a as seltzer. As long as there's no... Well, so this is like... Oh, kind of, ooh. Okay. Um, so anything with caffeine... Oh. <laughs> anything sure. with caffeine or um, even carbonation can be an irritant to the bladder. Gotcha. Okay. So I never tell patients like, you're not allowed to drink that. You can drink whatever the heck sure. you want, but just know that if you have more urgency after you drink a green tea, that's why. It could be because of that. Yeah. So you just might have to balance it with maybe a little more water. So if you're going to have two cups of coffee, I say try to sub two cups of water, like also add sure. two more cups of water to your day. Gotcha. Um, sleep. Ugh. This is like the biggest thing. So many times patients will be like, I don't understand it. I'm just gaining weight and like I'm exercising and I'm eating healthy. And I'm like, and I'm like, well, how much sleep are you getting? Like three hours. I'm like, well, you can exercise until you house come home. Like your body is in like store mode because right. you're not sleeping. Right. So sleep is so vital, especially as we get older. Um, we really need to be calming ourselves and making sure that we're getting that good sleep. Yes. yes. Our listeners cannot see, but Kristen and I are looking at each other because we know that we don't do that one. <laughs> yes. It's very hard to do. It is. It's so it's, hard. It is. Yeah. And you know, with kids, it's obviously mm -hmm. like you're, I think, you know, part of being a mom is never sleeping well again, right? Never. But then but it comes to like yes. stress management. Yes. And being able, just because you're not sleeping, you still should be able to have that like mindfulness, that just like zenness. And we always joke like Jen is still trying to find Zen Jen. <laughs> She's in there somewhere. But you know, it really is important to try to like really find that nice meditative state, slowing down a little bit, like turning yes, down turning that sympathetic down. Yes. nervous system. Yes. Works wonders, I'm yeah. Sure. And so, like, typically day one, that's what we're educating people. We're talking about hydration, nutrition, sleep management, stress management, you know. And it's amazing how many concerns that could really get so much better by just following those little tips. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm fascinated, A, by just how complex the pelvic floor is, and then also, you know, how just our overall health and wellness, and, you know, doing what we know we should be doing, like the sleep and the hydration and nutrition can really help with, you know, with 
not only our whole bodies, but very specifically our pelvic floor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, just think about like menopause and perimenopause, right? We have a change in hormones pretty abruptly, right? Mm -hmm. um, so you have this massive drop in hormones. So now you're tense because the vaginal walls may be dry. It might be really uncomfortable. Um, and then maybe you also have a teenager that you're running to soccer practice. And then maybe you're also, you know, having a career change. Like, you know, your forties are really like this time in your life where things are starting to like settle. Right. Right. And you're starting to be like, okay, this is, this is my life. Like, mm -hmm. this is where I'm at. Right. Um, you're not in that, like, career discovery stage that you are in your 20s. Yeah, exactly. And you're also not in retirement. You're kind of in this, like, middle, like, okay, we're settling Here we down. are. Yeah, right. right. Um, and, you know, throw all these hormone changes and throw stress of raising maybe some children mm -hmm. that are, you know, maybe going through some not so great years. <laughs> also hormone changes. <laughs> yeah. Like, it can definitely drive a lot of concerns. And so... Um, it's, it's super important that you get these concerns addressed and there's help out there. And I think that's the biggest thing is that so many times we just brush it off. Yes. And if we don't take care of ourselves, how, how are, and that, I mean, it is, it's kind of cliche because mm -hmm. we hear it all the time, but truly if we don't take care of ourselves and have that space, then how are we going to take care of our families right. and right. our careers and our Everything. 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 Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, 100%. This is so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're definitely having a follow-up. Yes. I, I, I have some, some B-side questions, but we'll, we'll wait for those. So Jen, before we go, we ask all of our guests to please share an OMG moment because this is perimenopause OMG and it doesn't have to be a recent moment it just has to be a female moment yeah. so one of those times when you're like OMG I cannot believe this is yeah this happens to me which is so funny because like when you told me that that's you know a question yeah I was like Ooh, what am I gonna say and I like thought of it and I think to the first time I used a tampon and my mom handed me a tampon. Okay. Because it was the summer. And she's like, here you go. Oh, yeah, and, right. Because you, yeah. you have to swim. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> and she's like, it's a tampon. And I was like, but what do I do with it? And she's like, you know, you just like insert it. I'm like, I put it where? Like, what do I do <laughs> right. with this thing? Right? I had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea how to insert it. My mom, bless her soul. But like, you know, this was, you know. Yeah, right. She, these were not the times that we're living in now. And it's just really funny because now I'm educating women. And never, if you had told me that when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13, right. that I was going to be educating women about sex and tampons and leakage and bowel movements, I would have thought you were nuts. Right. And so here I am, like, trying to spread the word. And it's just, we've all had those moments. Absolutely. Right? Um, and so I just think it's really humbling to, like, look back and be like, wow, I knew nothing. Right. Back then, right. And now here I am, like, educating world about look at that so, I love it yeah and you can tell how passionate you are about it about you know helping women in general but specifically you know with the pelvic floor so we we so appreciate this conversation yeah, no problem it's so fun I can talk about this stuff all day so. absolutely <laughs> this is awesome so Jen tell our listeners one more time your um the name of your practice and the location yes so it's Vivid Women's Health um and we are in Newtown Pennsylvania perfect and we'll put all the 
actual information and your website um, up in our show notes. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yes. All right. Thanks so much, Jen. No problem. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode. You can listen to us on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, like us. <laughs> you can contact us at perimenopauseomg at gmail.com. That's perimenopause, spelled like my last name, P-E-R-R-Y, menopause, the letters O-M-G at gmail.com. And follow us on Instagram and our Facebook page at perimenopause omg period the, the end, end.